You may be seated. You may be seated. You know, this month we are highlighting through the whole month uh, our small groups here at Celebration Baptist Church. And our desire is that everybody who is not involved, everybody who is not engaged in a small group, will by the end of the month sign up and become engaged and participate in one of the small groups that are available here at Celebration. You know, uh, you may not know a whole lot about our church. You might be new to it. So let me just say this. Uh, one of the things that we have always tried, we have always done, and what we're always seeking to do is do everything we can according to God's Word. And what that means is we're not trying to be directed and we're not trying to direct the church according to maybe what is popular or based on personal opinion or even based on human tradition. What we want to do, our heart of hearts, is to be obedient to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to be obedient to God means we must be obedient to what it is that His Word teaches. Now, with that said, I want to kind of pose a question this morning. And the question is simply this, are small groups biblical? Are small groups biblical? I mean, I think that's an important question. Uh, here we are trying to promote, trying to encourage you to be a part of a small group, to get engaged into a small group community of believers. And so the question is, are they biblical? If not, then we're really kind of wasting our time, right? I'm wasting my breath. You're wasting your good time. It'd be better out to be out on the ocean somewhere, maybe at the beach or, or doing some. Don't get any ideas. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of fun. We could be doing other things. We could either be wasting our time or it could be even worse. We could be, as leadership here, we could be no better than the Pharisees during the time of Christ where we begin to try to get you to do things and to heap upon you all kinds of commands that even God himself doesn't require of you or command of you. And that would not be a place where we ultimately want to be. So the question that we ask is, are small groups biblical? Does the Bible either explicitly or implicitly suggest that small groups are a part of God's original design of the DNA of his church, of a local body church? Now, before we answer that question, I think it's important that I give you a definition, that I define what I mean when I say small groups. And when I'm speaking of small groups, simply all I'm speaking of is a group that consists of two or more people, hopefully not more than 12, but sometimes it is more than 12, uh, that meet together on a regular ongoing basis for spiritual encouragement, for growth, and for ministry. Does that make sense? So just two to 12 people somewhere in there, maybe a little bit more, uh, people gathering together on a regular basis weekly to come together for spiritual um, encouragement, spiritual growth, and ministering together and to each other. That's what we mean when we speak of a small group. Now, let me answer a question that is perhaps you're, maybe you're not from our church and you're from a different church background. Uh, some people might ask, and this is asked quite often, well, why don't you do Sunday school? What, what's wrong with Sunday school? Why aren't you doing Sunday school. And what I would love to say is, I would love to be able to do Sunday school. I think Sunday school is wonderful. But I also think that Sunday school is technically a small group. That's all that Sunday school is. It's two or to between two and 12 people meeting together, 
um, consistently, week after week, to encourage each other spiritually, to, for encouragement, for growth in ministry. Isn't that what a Sunday school is? Um, I have nothing against Sunday school. Why? Because we're about small groups. In fact, before we moved into this building, we had Sunday schools available. Oh, yes, those were the good old days when we had good old traditional Sunday school. But when we moved into this building, guess what? We couldn't have Sunday school for everybody anymore, not because we were rebels, not because we wanted to be new and exciting, but it was because we just don't have room for people to have Sunday school. That's why we don't meet specifically and have age-graded groups for 300 people on Sunday mornings to meet because we just don't have enough little school classrooms for everybody to be able to meet in in small groups. And and in order to be able to do that, we would have to pay another additional $1.5 million to be able to house people for about an hour and a half per week. And we just didn't want another million and a half dollars of debt. We already have $900,000 in debt. You guys tracking with me? Yes, okay, so we thought, hey, listen, what if we still have Sunday school small groups, but they just meet in homes? Wow, wouldn't that be cool? You mean kind of like in the New Testament? Yeah, kind of like there. That would be cool. Uh, Let's kind of do kind of what they did there so we know it's not necessarily unbiblical. And that way, no matter how big our church grew, we would always have room for people, We wouldn't have to sit back and constantly figure out how are we going to get more education space and how are we going to spend more millions of dollars on buildings when millions of dollars could be going to propagate the gospel throughout the world. Y'all with me at all? If you are, say amen or do something because I'm not feeling warm, all right? I need to feel warm, all right? Feeling a little cold here. And so that's just simply why we don't do per se Sunday school. But again, Sunday school is a small group and we believe that's important. We just can't function that way where we are at the church. Make sense? So let's get back to our original. Thank you so much, Sue. Amen, sister. Um, So we'll get back to our original question. Are small groups or Sunday school, whatever it is, biblical? Does the Bible teach this? Is there anything either implicitly or explicitly in the Bible that says that we should be a part of these things? Well, there's a lot of passages that I could go to. Uh, I I mentioned Acts chapter 2. We could look through the epistles, the pastoral epistles. We could look at different places where small groups of believers gathered together in homes or other places. They prayed, they broke bread, they ministered to one another, they ministered outside of themselves to other people. We could find those different narrative passages throughout scripture but i want to draw your attention and go out a little bit different direction and here in ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 through 12 now let me give you a little bit of background here paul is kind of laying out kind of what god's design is of how the church should function and so a little bit earlier over in verse 8 he says this he says therefore it says He says, when he ascended, speaking of Jesus on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It says, before Jesus ascended up into heaven to the right hand of the Father, he gave gifts to the world, to men. He gave gifts to the world and especially to his church. And then we read down a couple verses to verse 11 and we find out what these gifts are. I I like gifts. Do you like gifts? Well, let's find out what these gifts are that Jesus has for us. We look down in verse 11 and he says, and he gave, here are the gifts, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So what he says is before Jesus went into heaven, he gave the gifts to the world and to the church and those gifts were spiritual leaders, spiritual preachers, spiritual 
teachers to the church as God's gift to them. So Brother Jimmy, guess what? It's a gift to you. Isn't that wonderful? He's a gift. Is he here? All right, I don't know where. He's somewhere. Our gift is somewhere, all right? Uh, 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 brother brother uh, Jonathan, even though he's not here, he's your gift. Uh, even Brother Dan is a gift, a, a huge gift. Uh, not, not as big as he used to be. He's much smaller now. Uh, a, a gift to you. That's a good thing. It's better than the opposite. He's much a bigger gift to you now, right? All right, work with me. All right, even, even Brother Mike and, and, and the shepherds, the, uh, uh, Ronnie and, 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 and these guys are, are all, uh, Gary, they're, they're gifts to you. I remember one time at a former church I was serving and it didn't go well with me there. You guys kind of know that, won't go too much into detail. But I remember one gentleman by the name of Mac, God rest his soul. He's not dead, but anyway, but still God rest his soul. And so he comes and he says to me, he goes, well, I guess you just think that you are God's gift to this church, don't you? And I just didn't have it in me to open up Ephesians chapter 4 and go, well, technically, yes, I, technically, I am God's gift to, to you here. I, I didn't have that. And so God has given you these gifts, and no, there's no refunds, there's no exchanges, there's no swappies, there's no, there's no uh, gives these backsies, okay? God gave you what he gave you as a gift. And so what are these gifts supposed to be doing? Ah, great question. What are these, why did God give these gifts to us? Well, look at the scriptures Again, it says to equip the saints, to equip the saints. Now, the word equip there in the Greek literally refers to, it means, it refers to that which is to fit, all right, to be fit. It's restored to its original condition or is made complete. So God gave the teachers of the church, the elders of the church, a gift to you to equip you. Now, what does that mean? It means that when we're saved, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that God doesn't want us to remain the same people that we were before we got saved. He doesn't want us to remain in our, in our, in, in our sins, in our old sinful lifestyle, pursuing sinful things. He wants us to live unto him. He wants us, in essence, to go back to the garden where Adam and Eve submitted themselves fully and completely to God underneath his lordship. And so what he says is, hey, I, I'm giving you these gifts. I've already given you the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I've already given you a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. He says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you folks to instruct you, to help you to get back there, to be, for you to be specifically equipped. And so how do they do it? What, what are the tools that these spiritual leaders use? Well, there's two primarily, prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the teaching of the word of God. Uh, sp specifically speaking of the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, listen very carefully to what Paul says. He says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. It says, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, check this out, that the man of God may be adequate, listen, same word, equipped for every good word. He's writing to pastors, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, you preach the word because it is sufficient to equip your people for every good work. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says that pastors should be doing what? They should be dedicating themselves fully and solemnly to prayer and to the ministry of the word, Acts 6, 4. And then we find in the word of God in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2, 8, Paul says of himself, and every pastor 
Every spiritual leader should be saying the same thing of himself, that they are admonishing every man and teaching every man, that means women too, with all wisdom that we may present every man. Now check this out, same word translated differently, complete in Christ. So get it? God, gifts to you, the people who, he says to the saints, you know that you're a saint. You're sitting there, I thought saints were the guys with the funny hats. No, they're not people with a funny hat. Every born again, blood washed Christian is a saint to equip the saints for what? To equip them in specifically, what are they to equip them for? Well, the Bible says for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. Now, this is radical teaching. This is far different than what many of us are accustomed to in the local body church. The common, everyday church member does not think in these terms of themselves as being the ministers. They think of them as the professionals, the people that are paid, those, those guys, those elders in the church. They're the ministers. Why do we need to be tra- tra- trained, they say? We're not going into full-time Christian ministry. Au contraire, mon frere, right? The Bible says, listen, it doesn't even call the pastors ministers here. He calls them equippers. He says their primary job is to equip you, every single one of you, for what? For ministry. Now, this is huge. Now, what makes all believers ministers and not just a select few? Why would God in his divine plan not just assign just one or just a few men to be the ministers of the whole? Because God knows that that's impossible. He understands that there are so many needs within a local body, no matter what the size, that there is no way that one man or just a handful of men could ever meet every true need within the congregation. He says there's no way. There's just far too many needs to be able to do all of these things. Now, stop and think about this just for a minute. Just think about how much hurt. We often see when people don't understand God's plan and they don't live according to his plan that people get hurt, right? We see that in marriage when men and women don't hold to the roles in which God has called for them. There's often pain in the marriage. Are you with me? You guys still tracking? Same exact thing as when the church is not functioning the way that the church should. People get hurt. I know several men who are no longer in the ministry, young men, who gave it five years and they're burnt out of ministry. And you ask them and you say, what happened? He goes, I just can't meet all the needs, man. And it's either because they have a false understanding of what their role is, that they are equippers, that their primary, what they're supposed to be dedicating themselves to is in prayer and the word of God, and they've just kind of lost sight of that, and now they're trying to meet every single need in the church and they're overwhelmed. Or the church is pressing on them that is their responsibility to be everywhere, do everything, and meet every need. And they just can't handle it anymore. It's just impossible for them to do it. So they get burned out. Just think how many church members, even well-meaning, well-intended church members, have been hurt because of misunderstanding of the roles in church. How many church members have said, well, the pastor didn't say hello to me. Or the pastor didn't call me. Or the pastor doesn't have a personal relationship 
with me or he didn't come and see me when he was hurting and, and these things didn't happen. And the truth of the matter is what's happening is we begin to take these men and we put on them something that God himself didn't even put on them. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Now, this, does this mean that the ministers of the church are exempt from ministering? Absolutely not. Why? Because we're believers in Jesus Christ. But here's the point. God understands no matter how gifted, no matter how trained, no matter how well-intended, no matter how much they would desire to be able to do so, they could never meet all of the needs in a local body church. There's just no way for them to do it. So God says, I'm going to set you aside to do what? To equip all of the body of Christ to minister. Now, what, how does this work? What, how does this add up? Well, Paul adds something at the end of this. He says, the pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, notice this, for building up the body of Christ. Now, that last phrase is important because uh, the word building up here, literally in the Greek, uh, refers to the building up of a house or, in general, any type of construction format. So, when we build, we know that there is an outside, an external building, yes, and there's an internal building. You, the walls went up here. If you saw them, they were like these big slab things, very cool, big, these big slabs, and they're like putting them all up. But then, it wasn't like, okay, it's done. There was all this stuff that had to be built on the inside. So when he says that you are supposed to be building, there are two ways in which you, all of us, are responsible to minister. And there's an external ministry that needs to be done. And just like a building of a church, you, you build on blocks to make it larger. So the church itself builds by adding people to it. That means new believers come into faith. So that includes what? External ministry, which is evangelism. It's each and every one of you, not just the pastor's. Sharing the gospel. Uh, many of you are like, hey, will you come and share the gospel with my friend? You share the gospel with your friend. You're a minister. You're called of God. You say, but you haven't equipped us. What did we do a month ago? For five weeks, we talked about the gospel. We talked about the gospel. The very first week, we talked about the necessity that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, people cannot be saved. So therefore, all of us meet, must be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what did we do in the next sermon? Brother Jimmy, your gift came to you and he began to equip you, showing you practically how to engage with other people with the gospel. Then the next week, I begin to talk about the gospel in the narrow sense. What is the gospel? What is the bare bones truths of the gospel? The very next week, I preached the gospel in the broader sense. Anybody remembering this? From Genesis to the book of Revelation. And then the next week, I preached and we equipped on, hey, listen, you can't just preach the gospel with words, but it must be in words and deeds. Do you see that? That's equipping. The question is, are we ministering? Are we now that we are equipped? Are we now taking that and, and, and going in evangelism and sharing the gospel with other people? So there's an external ministry, but there's an internal ministry or an internal building up of the saints as well. And that's you and I pouring into each other, encouraging each other, loving each other, ministering, teaching each other, keeping some accountability to each other. Do you see that? And that's what that building up is. For what purpose? Well, look at verse 13. He says, we are to minister to each other in order to build each other up. Here's, here's when we can stop. Here, here's the, okay, you're done. Here it is. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. You know what he says? You can stop ministering to one another when all of you become identical to the person of Jesus Christ. So as far as I know, you and I have a lot of work to do, okay? Our job is not done anytime soon. It will not be done until he comes for us again. But to pour in each other, we have to minister to each other. Okay, we get that. Do you understand from the word of God what our roles are? Equipping, ministering out, ministering in. We keep doing it until we all look like Jesus Christ. That means that we can't stop ministering to one another. Now the question is, where are these things done? How do you guys minister to one another? Where is the best place for us to be equipped? Well, let's stop and think about this just for a minute. Let's think about the best place for equipping. What's going on right now? Equipping or you ministering to one another? Equipping, right? This is being equipping. This is not conducive for you ministering one to another. Now, I'm not talking about ushers. Thank you. Praise God. Leading worship, all ministry. I get that. But I'm talking about the whole congregation ministering to one another Is it conducive for a Sunday morning? No. Why? Because you're being equipped. You're being trained. You're being taught. You're being built up. You're you're getting the tools that needs to be able to implement it. Can you implement it here and now? No. Why? Because this is what you do. You walk in. Some of you run in. Some come early. Some come a little bit late. I'm just glad you're here. Not not being picky. You kind of come in. And what do you do? Hey, guys, how's it going? Everyone okay? Okay, okay, let's sit down. Right? It's done. I got to go get my kids. Let's run over. Let's grab the kids real quick. Got to get the kids. Hey, guys, it's good seeing you. Hey, Jeff, nice seeing you, man. Everything going okay? Everything going well? Okay, good. Good to see you, man. Hey, listen, maybe, hey, let's go, let's go swing some golf clubs. Maybe we'll get together a little bit sometime. Let's have lunch. All right, we'll, we'll do this. And then you get out. There's, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's what the Bible says that ministry is. It's just very hard and really not conducive to do that, but it is conducive for training. And so what I would suggest is the implication here, very clearly to me, is there has to be some way that people come together in smaller groups in order for this type of ministry to ultimately be done. Why? Because you have to have a certain level of knowledge of that person to be able to minister to the needs of of that person. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Now let's look at another passage together this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25. Let me read this for you. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. Bible drill time. Here we go. The Bible says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice it didn't say, pastors, consider how to stir up your congregation. What did it say? It said, let us, all of us, all-inclusive, let every single one of us consider That means thoughtfully consider, think about, work through how it might be that we can encourage each other how unto love and to good works. You know what this takes? It takes time. It takes time. 
One author says this, he says, he says that the command of God is to carefully, painstakingly consider how the brothers and sisters around you that are surrounding you need to be ministered to what their needs are and do all that you can to meet that need. Guys, that takes time. It is impossible, no matter how much you would like this, unless you're in a church about 12 people, it is impossible for your pastor to know each of you that way as much as your pastors would love to. Love to know each and every one of you that way. Would you agree it's impossible to be able to do so? See, we get fooled a little bit. You look around, this church isn't really all that big. You haven't seen the bigger half of the church come yet. There's another 250 people that are going to come right after you. 550 people. So we forget. Maybe it's a little bit larger than what we think. You just can't do that. But guess what? Each one can know one. Everybody can know another person. And in order to do that, what can they do? They can begin to pour in to each other. Time is ultimately required. And so now that we know, look, now that we know that the Bible, obviously, small groups of some sort have got to be essential for just you and I to be able to fulfill what God has called you to, and that is for you to be equipped for ministry. Now the question is, is how do we encourage people to get involved in that? Well, here's the challenge. Two things. Number one, take the initiative. See, there are some times, and this is not being critical, there are some times and some people that just sit back and they're like, listen, small group is just not for me. It's just not for me. Um, I'm, I'm a little shy. I, I don't like that kind of intimate type environment around other people. And I can feel your pain to a certain extent. I'm com- the larger the crowd, the more comfortable I am. The smaller it is, <laughs> I get nervous. I just do. And it would be very easy to sit back and go, I just can't do it. But here's my encouragement to you. If that's you, here's my encouragement to you. Don't live by feeling, live by faith. The Bible is very clear that in order for you to fulfill what God has called you to, you must be within a small group of believers if you're going to be ministered to and if you are going to minister. Are you following me? Don't live by your feeling. Live by faith and God will bless you for it. Now, there are others who are sitting back and, and I can appreciate this. They say, well, I just don't need a small group. I don't need to be in with other believers. I, I'm learning on my own. I'm reading. I'm feeding myself daily. I applaud you. Wonderful. That's awesome. Every one of us should be feeding ourselves. We should be in the word of God, learning to rightly divide the word of truth. We should all be doing that. But let me tell you something. You need other people more than you ever know. My natural tendency is to jump. But did you know that jump run away from the small group thing? But did you know that even your pastor and your pastor, I'm in four or five small groups every week. There are two guys that I meet individually every single week. And the whole point is I'm supposed to be mentoring them. But in so many ways, they encourage me far more than I could ever imagine. They'll sit there and say, Brother Mike, I just want to let you know, in light of what we learned, let me tell you how I'm living my life. And sometimes I sit back and go, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than right here, right now with this man. I do it with our our, our men, uh, our staff. We have a small group where we 
We, we pray for each other and we care for each other and we minister to each other. On Wednesday nights, we have another prayer group that we meet together and the guys in there are beginning, right, Daniel? We're beginning to get to know each other all the more and knowing how to minister each other, encourage each other in the word and to move on and to be the men of God that God has called us to be. I'm telling you, it is a huge blessing to you, but don't miss something. You not only need it, but other people need you. They need you. This is not all about, well, listen, if the first tendency is, well, what am I going to get out of it? You're heading down the wrong track. But if your ministry is, hey, listen, God's called me to minister to other people. I need to have a way to be able to do that. And listen, I just want to be very clear. I don't think what God is saying is to minister to one another. Ideally here is opening up the door for someone. Now, I am not belittling opening up the door for someone. We need somebody to open the door, amen? And if you open the door, thank Jesus for you. That's wonderful. But I don't think that's the picture that Jesus is saying. I think that Jesus is saying is you need to have a community that you know, that know you, that you grow together, that you work together, that you, is it easy? No, it's even messy sometimes. It's messy sometimes, and if you're leading it, it's hard sometimes to try to get all those personalities to be able to come together, but you know what it does? We all have to die to self, love each other, and the Bible says they will know you are Christians by your what? By your love one for another, and so let me encourage all those who are not in one to take the initiative to be in one. Let me, let me st- extend Uh, another challenge that is to extend an invitation for you who are in a small group to those who are not in a small group see here's what we have we have some people that going man you're preaching it brother this is awesome i know what it's like to be in a small group but brother mike if if we invite other people to our small group then it won't be our little group what will happen to our little group it's us four and no more it's it's kind of nice the way that it's working and and if we invite people into our group, then it won't be our group anymore. And then what's going to happen to our group? I understand the feeling. I understand what's going on. But here's what you have to say. The same thing that you have enjoyed, don't you want to share that with other people? Don't you want to share that with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are missing it and saying, hey, come. So invite them. Bring them over. Invite them to come into your small group. Ask them, say, we would love to have you be a part of what God is doing in our small group. We don't know you. Now, this brings up another challenge to our church. And I'm gonna close with this. A very simple message this morning, right? Very simple, very biblical, but very simple. But I think it's very needed. And here's one of the reasons why. I will oftentimes get emails, and some of you are so wonderful, because every once in a while, you'll just jet out a little encouraging email. Thank you. Thank you. Let me just say it again. Thank you. All right? Because most I get are not necessarily encouraging. Um, They may try to be encouraging, but have you ever seen somebody try to be encouraging, but you know that that the right hook is coming soon? Hey, great message. Wonderful but let me just kind of correct you on a couple things, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And you're like, okay, Paul, all right, because that's kind of how Paul seemed to write. And so we, we on Tennessee, and this last week it was interesting. I got an email from a man, and you might be here, and I don't know who you are. Um, but here's something that I have heard consistent. I would even read this to you unless I felt like it was conducive for us. Um, and applied to us. He gets through, he talks about how he came into the church and somebody opened the door and somebody handed him a bulletin and welcomed him. He says, but from there on, nobody spoke to him. 
kind of came through, sat down 15 minutes early. Nobody really applied. People sat down to his right and his left. Nobody said anything to him. Nobody approached him. Nobody said, how you doing? Nobody introduced himself to them. He says, then there was the welcome time. And he says, and he tried to go out of his way to say hello to people. And, and he goes, you could tell that some people knew each other because they would talk. And some people were just talking with each other, but they weren't really kind of engaging. And he said, okay, that's fine. He said that he worshipped well, that he tied well, that he did all these things, enjoyed the message. And then he went out, and as he began to try to get in line to get out, a young man let him in. God bless you, young man, wherever you are. Let him in, and as they begin to work, this is what he says. He says, I took my time exiting. He says, waiting patiently for my turn to join the line uh, exiting. Saying, finally, someone let me in, a young man. As I left, no one spoke to me, but I hit the outside platform. I did overhear these words. A woman telling her husband, thought this was going to be a friendly church, but I was wrong. The search continues. As I quickly stated, I agree. Now, if this is you, and if you're the one that wrote this, I love you very much, but you just sinned at that point by saying I agree, because you don't know whether those folks were saved or lost, and you just may have condemned them, okay? So don't go there, but that's beside the point. She turned and she said, oh, was this your first time also? Yes. Then he added, no one smiled or spoke to me either. Us too. I was disappointed. I stated, sadly, it happens in many churches. I'll just go and try again. Since we stopped and introduced ourselves, we got into our vehicles, never to meet again until he takes us home. So I will keep praying. I may be back or perhaps God has other plans have been praying for many months now. Thank you for taking time to read this. I do pray and hope that I have revived an inspiration. Now, let me just say a couple things about this. It's very easy for me to tear his letter apart. You guys kind of know me. That kind of comes natural to me. Um, to kind of destroy it, to kind of sit there and say, you just sow discord amongst the brethren. You missed an opportunity um, to be able to share. The man says he loves the preaching. He loves the music but he has to look for somewhere else because the church just wasn't extending an invitation out to him enough. And here's, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, if that's the way that we feel and that's how we choose our churches, just how many people come up and bend over backwards to us, even some of them were, we found out and tracked it down that they were greeted not only by one person, but another minister came and another minister came and talked with them. Uh, they also saw them in a, in a restaurant afterwards and they sat down and talked with them. But they kept saying, you know, nobody greeted us. And so the question is, how many people do you need to greet you, right? Especially when we have some people going, look, man, I'm new. Just, just get away from me, all right? Just kind of want to sit down. We know that, right? And so, so just, just leave me alone. I don't know you freaks. You know, just, just leave me alone. So the idea is we, we can say all that, but here is something that I generally think is an issue for our church, and that is the warmth of our church. We need to work on this at Celebration. Other churches, listen, other churches who have been around for 100 years, um, sometimes they can be warm. Sometimes not. They can be warm because everybody knows each other. For 70 years, they've been growing up together. They know their families. They all are married to each other. They're all that kind of stuff. We got that. We have a little bit of that going on here, but not a whole lot. There's a challenge because we have two services. And how many of you have ever felt this way? Brother Mike, the reason I don't really engage people in conversation and ask them, how long they've been here at Celebration is because I don't know who's new and who's not. Hey, it's not like we have this, you know, thing that says new person. 
you know, in old person, you know, and that might be offensive, you know. So how do we navigate through this? So what I want to do is whenever we have a problem like this, we just, the best thing to do is just address it, right? Look, we all kind of feel that way. We all kind of feel, and some of you have even felt that way. Man, I just wish more people were a little bit more engaging with other people. Let me give you four eyes, something we call four eyes to be able to help ourselves, all right? Help ourselves with this. Number one, let us all pray for eyes that will identify those around us in need. This is what I'm just asking you to do. Write this down somewhere. Just put this down somewhere. To begin to look every Sunday morning. Come a little bit early, by the way. Stay a little bit longer. We got enough time before the next crew comes. Just take a couple moments to identify people that you just don't know. You don't know if they're new. You don't know if they are new. But each week, just take a few moments just to identify somebody that you don't know, stick out your hand and say, hello, my name is, what's your name? And then here's how you get around that whole awkwardness thing. Now, we've already identified it, so you don't have to feel awkward anymore. But just sit there and go, so how long have you been attending Celebration? How long have you been attending there? Well, 15 years. All right, I hope that nobody that's been here for 15 years would respond like that. But it'd be like, hey, I'm a founding member. Great. I've been here for six months. I've been here for two weeks. Really? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you work? I'm, I'm trying to help you. Write this down, okay? This is how you enter into conversation. Look, I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel like it was needed. So where are you from? Are you from this area? Have you lived here for long? Yeah, we've lived here for a long time. Oh, really? Do you live on the island? Do you live off the island? Really? So um, where, where, do you, where do you guys work? Really, do you have any children? Do, do you see how that conversation, because identify, the second thing is initiate, okay? So I've kind of jumped the gun. Identify somebody, initiate, go up to them and begin to just talk with them. Just begin to talk with them. Initiate, invest, ask them. That's the third one. Identify, initiate, invest. Invest in them, talk with them. Here's a kicker. Invite them over to your house for dinner. Invite them for coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I would go with you with coffee. There's always something weird there that I can drink, all right? Invite them for coffee. Now, here's what I'm trying to get at. One of the things that I'm trying to, then finally invite. Invite them to a small group. Or here's the key. Invest in them enough that you invite them to faith in Jesus Christ. There's something that we want to be able to do as well. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? And some people are here. Look, some of you are sitting there, and look, I'm just, try, I'm just trying to help you as your pastor. Some folks are harder to approach than others. Okay? You with me? Is this okay for me to say this? Okay. Some people are hard. Look, if you, some of you that are complaining that nobody's approaching to you, it's hard to approach you. I'm just being honest with you. Okay? When you sit there and you're like, hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? And you walk by. That's just hard to engage with. You got that? And, and try to add something in the conversation. Try to add something in the conversation. Sometimes I just run out of my list. Are you with me? I ask all the questions, and I'm like, okay, I'm out of questions. It's very nice meeting you. Just move on. Are, are you all with me? Extend and be loving and encouraging one to another. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and we're going to have a time of response. And we're going to pray about what God said. And you guys are going to look and say, am I in a small group or not? Does the Bible say that we ought to be in small group in order to do what God has called us to do? And you need to affirm and determine, am I ought to be in small group? You need to make a decision about that this month. 
But here's what we're going to do as well. We're going to be dismissed. And I'm going to allow you to practice. I'm going to allow you to practice. And every week for the next two months, we're going to practice at this. Is that exciting? Is that good? Does that sound good? Man, this is going over really well. All right. I can tell. So here's what I want you to understand, guys. I never want somebody to be able to leave, no matter what they're going through, spiritual level, whether they're lost or not, to feel as though this is a cold church. People know us, even in the community already, as a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that is about preaching God's word, evangelism, and discipleship. But what good does it do if we're unfriendly and unloving? I don't believe that that's the case. But if that's the perceptive of people, that's not good for a testimony of a church. So what we need to do is this. It begins by identifying, initiating, investing, and inviting, and then being a part of a small group where you can pour into others and they can pour into you. Why do we do this? It's all because of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross for the sins of mankind. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? For you and for me. Ought we not to do it the same to each other? If you're not saved, Jesus will save you today. If you repent of your sins and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, he'll save you right where you are. You want to talk about that? Let's talk about it afterwards. I'll be right down here and just at the invitation. We're going to have the invitation at this point. If you would come, and we're just going to have a time of prayer, and then we're going to take up the offering, and then we'll be dismissed to practice, okay? Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this morning. God, I know that this is an odd type situation and message. This is so completely different than almost anything else that we've ever done.